Let's pray together again. Father, we thank you for your word. To have a copy of your word in our laps this morning uh, is a great and powerful privilege that not everyone in the world has, as we've been uh, reminded today. So we are thankful to you, and we know that we'll be held to, uh, to a higher standard for having access to your truth uh, like this. And I pray that you would help us as we give uh, tenants to your word, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. I who speaks and those who listen. And we know there are many who are here who are going through troubles. And we pray that they would find solace and help and courage in your word to trust you. Many of our number who are ill uh, or who face an uh, uncertain future or there are financial difficulties or other troubles or trouble in their spirit and their mind and some who have wayward loved ones and their hearts are broken because of that. And we, we have great needs, Lord, and, and we'll face great temptations and I'm sure great pressures. And so now I pray that you help us to give special attention to your word that you through the work of your Holy Spirit in us would would help us to be powerfully affected by your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as you can see, we're going to revisit the account of Daniel and the lion's den today. When Lois and I traveled to Israel, we saw up close the setting for many of the gospel stories, and it was like they went from black and white to color when we did that. It went like they were pixelated, and then they became high definition. It was like they were muted, and then they became... Uh, surround sound. And this is what we would hope would happen today as we revisit a very familiar story that most of us would say we know, but we might have a flannel graph version of this story in our mind, and that's a good thing. But uh, there are, there, there's a sharper focus that we could have, and I would hope that today that you would, would lean into the emotional context of the story. What would it have felt like to be present or to be a party to that story? What would it have looked like? What, what smells and what sounds and what emotions would we have had? And what was uh, Daniel as an aged man writing these accounts, being moved by the Holy Spirit to write these accounts? What, uh, what did he have in mind for those who were the original hearers or the original readers of this? What did God, the Holy Spirit, want them to know, to think, and to do as a result in the same God who knew you would be here today? And he knew what you were going through. And he knew the troubles that you face. And now you have God's Word in your lap and this rich account of this precise historic account. We call it a story, but it is a newsworthy account. And so what we're going to do here, Lord willing, is we want to use our sanctified imagination and we want to enter into the emotional context of it. And here's the plan. First, we go through the account of scene at a time. And then I want to share seven things. Remember when you were in trouble. So let's get cracking because we got a lot to do. Daniel's promoted under a new king, Darius, in Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and 
over them three high officials, verse 2, whom Daniel was one, to whom the satraps could give account so the king would suffer no loss. So he's obviously promoted again in a new kingdom. But then the, the king also thinks he's going to give him an additional promotion. Um, Daniel's promoted here. This is in verse 1 through 4. Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And this is repeated almost every time we meet Daniel. People even don't know the Lord. Notice that this young man had an excellent spirit in him. Can I just uh, appeal to young men? If you didn't catch this, you're a young man and you're here today. Let me have your attention just for, for a minute. Think about this young man. The spirit of, that was in Daniel is the spirit that can be in you too. The spirit that was in Daniel, the Bible promises, would, could fill you, young man. And everybody who saw you would go, what is it with that young man? An excellent spirit. Now, girls, this would be true for you too. But I just wanted to tell the young men that for a minute just so that they would pay special attention and think about this. Here's a young man. Now he's grown old, but he has an excellent spirit in him. And while I'm on the subject, can I say this to you? Men who are more advanced in years, you don't have to grow old and mean and grouchy and crabby and owly. You can be a spirit-filled older man. That's wonderful. Well, so the high officials and the satraps turned against Daniel, verses 4 through 9. They couldn't find any fault with him. The high officials and satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. It's a great story. Think about it. They doxed him. They, they, they outed him. They, they followed him around. They got their people on him, but they couldn't find anything. Quite remarkable. So they decided to attack his loyalty to God. Verse 5, these men said, we shall not find any ground or complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That's the only trouble we should get into because when they ask us to violate the law of God, we obey God rather than man, right? Yes, amen? We're not just like crabby people that are eager to disobey, but we have a, we have a higher law that even our authorities answer to. And we will obey him. Uh, they formed in what my dad would call an immoral support society. You've heard of moral support? This was immoral support. Verse 6, these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said, O king, Darius, live forever. Verses 7 and 8, they hatched a plot to entrap Daniel. The high officials of the kingdom, prefects, satraps, counselors, governors, they agreed the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. Let's have a new law. Whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast in a den of lions. Anybody who prays to anybody but you. And the king, vulnerable, probably because of his ego, agrees to this. Falls into this trap. Uh, this is a, there, verse 7a, O king, be cast in the den of lions. Now, king, establish the injunction. Sign the document. 
So it can't be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So they set in the trap. You know the story. The king falls into the trap because of his ego. Verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the document and injunction. You just see these enemies of Daniel kind of salivating and holding their breath, waiting, and then this law is signed. Can I just take a minute to tell you, everything officially signed into law doesn't honor God. Not everything officially signed into law honors our God. And if one takes a pen in hand to sign something into law, one should have in mind the ultimate law of God. Because sometimes people sign into law things that are going to bring the innocence, the innocent to death. So Daniel's enemies here, uh, Daniel then, we re we've reached verse 10, and this is a beautiful verse. Is Daniel continues in unbroken faithfulness to God. Let's, let's read verse 10 again. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, what did he do? I, you know, he could have said, well, let's just take 30 days. Let's take a little break for 30 days. I mean, let's not be a fanatic about this. I mean, it would be better if I were to live than die. So let's just take a 30-day break here. He doesn't do that. Or another option would have been, let's just, there's no reason that we need to throw the windows open and pray publicly here. I mean, God can hear my secret prayers. I'm just going to go undercover for 30 days. He does not do this. And I, I've heard people say, well, Daniel is demonstrating. I don't know that he is because you're going to see in the last phrase of verse 10 that this is what he did continually. This is just what he did. He just kept doing what he did. Verse 10, Daniel knew the document had been signed. He went to his house in the upper chamber and he prayed toward Jerusalem. Um, the, there were there windows there. He got down on his knees. I admire people who are able to get down on their knees. He got, I mean, I can get down on my knees. Getting up is a lot harder than it used to be, but he got down on his knees three times a day in the window toward Jerusalem. What did he do when he prayed? He, what did he do? He, he, he gave thanks to God. Sometimes people go, I don't know what to pray. Well, just thank him for stuff. How many times? All the time. But Daniel here had a habit of praying three times a day. I'm sure he had a lot to pray about. One of the things the Bible says he prayed about is he, th he gave thanks to God. There's something powerful about giving thanks to God. You can't complain and give thanks at the same time. Can't gossip and give thanks at the same time. Right? Think about that. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to sin while you're giving thanks. It's hard to be ungrateful while you're giving thanks. It's hard to be mean to your wife while you're giving thanks. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an endearing habit. This is one of the things that made Daniel a man with an excellent spirit. And what was the habit? The habit of his heart. Notice the last phrase. He gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This is just what he did. So Daniel's enemies then catch him because they knew they would and they press the king for prosecution. They don't want Daniel to stop praying. They want Daniel to stop breathing. They want him dead. They know he's going to continue to obey. Verses 11 through 13, they checked on Daniel to see that he was praying. Verse 11, then these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. 
Often Christians say, you know, don't, you can't take away my freedom to worship God. You can't take away my freedom to pray. You can't take my freedom to exercise my religious uh, liberties and duties. You can't, you can't take that freedom away. But we noticed recently when there was just the slightest government pressure, lots of people who call themselves Christians stopped going to church altogether. And when I was a kid, you know, they would always have that story about when the communists come with their gun and they say, curse God, renounce God. Are you going to stand for God? And we were like, mask, no mask, vax, no max, no vax. There, I said it. You know, I, I'm going to stop going to church. But it didn't take much for a lot of Christians just to not, not continue in faithfulness. I knew you'd be quiet when I said that. Daniel, though, continued in unbroken faithfulness to God. And not just protesting his right to pray, just praying, just exercising his prayer, his right to pray. So they reminded the king in verse 12 of the law that he'd signed and couldn't be revoked. And he agreed. They came near, verse 12, said before the king, concerning the injunction, oh, king, did you not sign an injunction that everyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, will be cast into a den of lions? The king answered and said, this thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. I mean, our Supreme Court said it was law. Kind of, that's what he said. Are, are you tracking with me at all? Here, sure you are. Verse 13, they rat out Daniel. They spring the trap. They answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is the one, who, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction that you've signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. The king was grieved, and he looked for a loophole. Verse 14, the king, when he heard these words, he was much distressed. He was credit. <laughs> he was much distressed. He set his mind to deliver. He looked for a loophole, and he labored until the sun went down to rescue Daniel. I mean, the king realized that his ego had gotten him in trouble. And it grieved him to his credit. The enemies are not done. They're pressing in. Verse 15. And these men came by agreement to the king and said, No, O king, it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. They're waving their little law. They're, they're back in his face. So the king, what is he going to do? Is he going to break his own law and do what's right? Or... Is he going to follow through on this unjust law and have an innocent man executed for praying to God? And your blood must run cold when you stand and you watch the king decides. In verse 16, he commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into a den of lions. And it's not just capital punishment, it's vicious, it's violence, awful. I don't know, have you ever thought about how you want to die? Maybe not lately. You know, you ever thought, that you, ever have, you were talking with a friend, you said, would you rather burn to death or drown? I'm like, well, do I have any other options? <laughs> God, I like the idea of dying peacefully in my sleep after a good meal, surrounded by my loved ones at a very old age. Kind of what I had in mind, having suffered no pain or difficulty. 
How about being torn limb from limb by ravenous beast that had been starved for a while. So Daniel's thrown into this and, and catch this. Verse 17 says a stone is placed and a seal is set. The stone is brought, laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Bible-believing Christians, does this remind you of anything? Interesting. The king couldn't eat or sleep. Again, to his credit, verse 18, the king goes to his palace. He spends the night fasting. No diversions are brought to him. He's not watching Netflix at night. He's not having something to eat. He's not throwing a party. His sleep fled from him. You've got to appreciate at least that about him. In daylight, what does the king do? He goes and he eagerly checks at dawn. It's interesting. At dawn, he goes to the place where the stone was sealed in place to check on Daniel. It's interesting. Then at break of day, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions, verse 19. Now this is where you might want to hear his voice and feel the tenor of his voice. And he comes near the den and he cries out in a tone of anguish, Daniel. I feel so guilty. My ego got me in trouble. This is a good man. Like, this should not have been. Daniel, tell me your God delivered you, you know. So when he cries out in a loud tone of anguish, in a tone of anguish, the king declares to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Is that God of yours really God? And then he hears a familiar voice. Daniel calls back. Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths and did not harm me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. He's down there like, I was innocent. I told you, I, I told you I was innocent. It was really cool. Last night there was a little cub right here. I laid on him right here. A little pussy cat. And I just put my head on him right there. It was awesome. That's exactly what the Bible says. In the original language is somewhere. I made that up. I made that up. No. I made that up. But you know, you, like I said, you want a sanctified imagination. Here, pussycat. Just, you just say right there. We'll, we'll feed you later. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't say that. But it does say this. <laughs> the king celebrated Daniel's deliverance. Then the king was exceeding glad. And commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. And, and it's like he examined it like, not, nothing is wrong with him. There was no harm found on. Let's take a look at you. You did well. You got no tooth marks on you. They didn't bite anything off of you. It's like you weren't even harmed. It sounds similar to the, they came out of the fire and the only thing that was burnt was the stuff that bound them. That's a sweet story. I often like to say, um, 
what's the sweet spot of the text this week. But one of them has to be verse 23. No harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. No harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. Is your God able to deliver you? Your God whom you serve continuously, can he deliver you? No harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. How sweet is that? Another sweet spot would be the king's powerful declaration that follows that. In verses 25, Darius wrote to the peoples, nations, languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, who is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. That's a sweet spot. But there's a low point, too, in the text. Did you see it? I skipped it. It's a verse that broke my heart this week. Verse 24. Broke my heart over and over again. At first, we're tempted to celebrate Daniel's enemies who wanted him to perish in the lion's den when they are going to be thrown in the lion's den themselves. And we're like, it serves you right. Reminds us of Haman and the, the book of Esther hanging on the gallows that he built for the Jews. And we're tempted to celebrate Daniel's vindication. But you'll notice Daniel doesn't do that. What happened was the result of a godless practice in a culture of death. When a culture wanders from the law of God, death follows that culture in a hundred different ways. You can see it on the evening news in America every night. Why all the death, people say? Why all the death? And then they all have their different answers and divide over their answers. But we've rejected the law of God and the laws that we make have led to the death of the innocent. Is this not true? So the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. Now listen, they... their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. What would that have looked like? What would that have sounded like? What grieving would have happened around that hole in the earth when grandmothers and aunts and uncles and loved ones heard the cries of innocent people dying along with the guilty? anguish and pain and sadness. Their children, their wives suffered. Generations would be devastated by what happened today. The Bible doesn't say Daniel and the faithful Hebrews celebrated that. Innocent wives and children died a horrifying, violent death. In Israel, God instituted a law that children could not be punished with the death for the sins of their parents. No such law protected the wives and children in Persia that day. Imagine the grief. Imagine the mourning and the weeping of the families that died. In the next verse, the king makes the decree to all the nations that we read. And as the story comes to an end, we're reminded 
that Daniel continued to enjoy the blessing of God, in verse 28 it says, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now seven things to remember when you're surrounded by hungry lions. Seven things to remember when you're in any trouble from this story that we just read. One, God is able to give you the favor that you need, verses one through three. God is able to put you in, you, you, you say, I'm in trouble. I, I need a doctor. I need some counsel. I need wisdom. I need money. God is able to do what you need when you need it and give you favor with the people. Those of you that have walked with the Lord for a few years will see. This is one of the sweetest things there is about walking with the Lord is that there will be people that he lines up along your way. It's like you're running a race or you're playing football and you feel like you're alone, but then you listen, your dad's over there. And he's going, I got you, man. We're going to have brisket after this. Like, pancake that guy. Let's go. You're not alone out there. God's got somebody. Here, we'll help you with that bill. I know one time my son's teeth were bad. And we lived next door to a dentist. And Lois would always say, don't let the dentist see your teeth. Because we're so embarrassed. But God is taking care of my children's teeth. Because he lines people up to help you. That's one of the things that's sweet about trusting him. Daniel got favor with the right people at the right time when he was in trouble. And sometimes it's not until we're in trouble that we realize God is going to put people in our lives and give us favor, even unbelievers. Second thing to remember when you're in any trouble, too, if you're faithful, you're likely to have trouble. You may even have people plot to harm you. People may be jealous of you. Lesson number three, God is able to protect you and deliver you. Can I get an amen from the Baptists in the house today? And all the other Christians that don't want to identify as Baptists yet until you get to heaven, you know, where we'll all be Baptists like Jesus was. (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. I was just kidding about that. I didn't mean that. Can I get an amen from anybody who can fog a mirror today? Do you believe that God can deliver you? You do. So will you trust him when people conspire against you? Will you trust him when people tell you that you're going to suffer unless you violate his law? Will you trust him if it costs you your life? Now see, that, that's a good question. This is a lesson we learn when we're in trouble. God is able to give you favor. God is uh, faithful to help you when you're likely to get yourself in trouble and someone plots to harm you. God is able to protect you. He's able to deliver. You've heard of C.I. Schofield. C.I. Schofield, the famous Schofield Bible guy, the dispensationalist preacher. He was uh, saved later in life. He was an attorney and his life was a mess. He was an alcoholic. And after he got saved and his life got turned around, not long after that, he saw a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. And it moved him because he said, that's me, that's me. I'm just surrounded by lions and I'm asking God to protect me. And he was afraid he would fall back into drink and that his life would be destroyed like a lion attacking him. And he he would say, what lions are attacking you? God is able to deliver you from whatever trouble threatens you. This is a lesson from the lion's den for those of you who are in any trouble. For the suffering of those who reject God will never end and it will affect many others, some of whom they love very deeply. 
Now the temptation is to soften the verses 24 mornings in the Bible. And I was early in the week praying in the early morning and reading this and thinking, wow, that's going to be a hard thing to talk about. And then I realized, don't you soften the warnings of my word. You soften your own heart and you warn the people about what they will face. Bethel, people, let's do all that we can to warn people who face the eternal judgment of God and whose children and grandchildren will also suffer because they rejected God or who, because their parents or grandparents, their suffering will never end. I uh, was going to go, Lois and I have a thing we, we don't agree on. You always want to know these, I know, when I preach. So I'll tell you this one. She likes to eat at Culver's driving through. And I like to eat at Culver's going in. Now, she said, this week I'm like, I want to go in because I can refill my cup with more. I get more that way, the little cup that I can refill. With. And I can get ketchup for my fry. I know you came to church because you want to know my eating habits. So I'll tell you. So we drive up the cover. They go, I want to go in. She's like, okay, just, but you get into conversation with people and we're there all night, you know, so <laughs> I don't want to do that. And, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to promise you I won't talk to people, you know. Uh, so we go in and I dutifully am rude and, and I'm ignorant, ignore everybody. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't make any conversations and we got out of there without having, you know, to suffer through that. So the next day, we're at Dollar, uh, Dollar Store in uh, Spring Arbor, and I let her go in because I'm being lazy. And then I feel convicted, like maybe she has something heavy to carry. I should go in there. And guess what I find when I get in there? She's chatting the lady up in there. <laughs> lady named Sandy at the, Dollar, at the Dollar General in Spring Arbor. And she's deep into a conversation with her. Like, she's talking to her about serious stuff. Right away, I thought, I thought to myself, how in the world did you get there that fast with this lady? She's telling her heartaches, and they're, and they're significant. Suddenly, I realized it's a holy moment. I shouldn't make a joke about it. She's listening to her, and she, you can tell she's trying to show compassion to her, and she takes the cart back up, and I know she's trying to talk to her again. Take the cart back up. If you go to the Dollar General in Spring Arbor and you meet Sandy, be good to her. She needs some encouragement over there. She's been through a lot. I read this passage. I thought, how could I inspire the people that hear me preach to have a heart for people who are headed toward God's certain judgment? Then I thought, well, I got to remind the elders on Saturday morning. I'll remind them. You know, we can easily, at our elders meeting, we could easily just be praying about like an organ recital. How's your liver? How's your back? How's your kidney? Which isn't really very serious unless it's your liver, back, or kidney. Then it's pretty serious. But so I, I thought about how can I say that? When I get there, the men just start talking before I, one of them says, a buddy that I golf with died this week. But before he died, I got a chance to make sure that he knew the Lord. And, and he's asked me to, they asked me to speak at his funeral. And another one of our elders said, I got a Bible study going with convicted felons and we got the chance to witness to a guy who's on drugs. 
another one of our elders like, I, I go to the John George home every week because the men there need the Lord. And without me saying anything, we went through a number of these. One of our men said, I bought golf clubs. And we like, we didn't know you like golf. He goes, I don't, but I have a f- friend who doesn't know the Lord and he'll golf with me, but he won't come to church. So I commend to you, people of Bethel, this is the heart of what we're talking about. As your elders have taken leadership in this, I commend this also to you. I know we're not all the same, but try to find somebody who's headed for judgment and pray for them. Try to find somebody who's headed for judgment and love them. Try to find somebody who's discouraged, who's poor, who's confused, who's hurt, who's angry. Kids, young people, you can do this too. Take somebody with you to camp. Sponsor somebody. Thank you, by the way, a number you gave generously to sponsor kids to go to camp this summer and every, every week this summer. Our young people have gone off somewhere to camp and heard about Jesus every night while the sun set. They're going to need him. We all need him. Bless you for that. Bless you for not softening the warnings of Scripture, but softening your heart to the warnings of Scripture. Going into all the world with the gospel, making him known. You'll never hear sweeter stories than the stories that you hear about people whose lives were changed forever by Jesus. And listen, then instead of the generations after you suffering because you rejected Jesus, the generations after you are blessed because you trusted in Jesus. And this is the promise when you get to the end. The suffering of those who reject God will never end. But... The peace of those touched by grace will never end. Darius says, peace to all the nations. This is the, this is the one true God. And the sixth, there's an eternal and there's an ultimate kingdom and an ultimate king. And he's a good and gracious king, like he's saying today. And the God of the Bible is the one and only true creator God forever. And when you listen to the songs of the birds and you smell the fragrance of the flowers and you see the beauty of a newborn child and you enjoy married love, when you have the privilege of these great things, a good meal, the one who created all these things is the God of our Bible and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the only one true God who we will face in judgment someday or spend eternity in, in bliss with him, this eternal God. The king and presidents are going to come and go. Pastors are going to come and go. Kingdoms are going to rise and fall. Styles are going to change. What's popular today will be soon mocked, but God's kingdom and word are forever. He is eternal. He is a good and gracious king. And number seven, with God's help, remember, these are online in case you didn't catch them and you want to. With God's help, you can be faithful in dark times. You can be faithful in any trouble. God will make a Daniel of those who trust in him. I noticed something about the foreshadowings of Jesus in Daniel. If you, if, you have, if you have your whole Bible, you can't read Daniel without knowing the whole story of the Bible and just seeing Jesus in it. So in chapter 1, I, 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 he's foreshadowed in the food that, 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 that Daniel, Daniel and his friends ate. In chapter 2, he's definitely the, the stone that becomes a kingdom and, and destroys all the kingdoms of the earth and, and 
last forever. And Jesus is in the food in chapter 1 and the stone in chapter 2 and the fire, obviously, in chapter 3, a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, I believe. Jesus is the, sh is the offer of mercy to shoot from the stump in chapter 4 and the handwriting on the wall of judgment in chapter 5. But who is he in? Where is he in chapter 6? Well, that's interesting because Daniel is thrown into the lion's den and then it's stone is in place and then it's sealed and then they come in the morning and he's alive. Oh, you say it's a stretch. Okay. But I can't read that and not think of Jesus. Daniel is foreshadowing Jesus. And when you suffer and you trust God, you are too. That would be the hallelujah part right there. I've done a little running, I know, not lately. But uh, years ago, I was in the mountains of Kentucky, and I'd gone out for a long training run. The kids were sweet to me, and Lois, they were kind of me. They gave me some stuff before I left, and they said, we'll be thinking about you. And I went out through the mountains running. And that was hard. It was lots different than the flatlands. Halfway out, I still had to come back. And I had some misgivings about that. I turned and I started back and running those mountains. And I thought, I wish I could call in somebody just to come and get me right now. And I could have some bacon and eggs. <laughs> Lots of bacon and eggs, hot coffee, somewhere in a diner or somewhere. But I got a long way to go, miles to run. I'm alone in the mountains. And then I, I saw a little figure in the distance. Who in the world runs in the mountains in Kentucky? I had nobody. But there was somebody out there. And then as he got closer, I realized, oh, that's my, that's my boy. He comes and says, Dad, I, I knew you'd be tired, so I decided to run out and meet you. And then I ran a little bit further, and then there was another one of my boys, and he was, in, <laughs> he was a smart one. He was in a car. <laughs> He was in a car. He had snacks. <laughs> Come on. Does anybody have bacon money with them? Before long, we were just celebrating. And it, uh, it was a good day. And it was a great memory. And I know you're, you're in the mountains of trial right now. Some of you are deep into trials. And you don't know what the future is. And you feel alone. But you are not alone. There are those who have sent you out. There are those that are going to run to meet you. And there is one who is with you right now. And he's especially with you in the fire. He's especially with you in the trouble. He's especially with you when you're threatened. Aren't you glad? Say amen. Mark, come and bless the people. Mark, one of our elders is going to come and bless you. Prayer uh, partners, would you come stand together while Mark comes to pronounce a benediction. And prayer partners, you come. If you need help and you need somebody to pray with you today, while everybody's standing up, you need help and you need somebody to pray with you, the prayer partners are going to be here in the front. And if the prayer partners don't show up right away, if we could have some elders help us here. Here in the front, two here and two here. Because you might need to say, pray with me, I'm going through trouble. Or you might need to go, I need to know how to follow Jesus and I'm not sure. And so thank you. Uh, you, you don't hurry home. Come up here and let folks pray with you. Get a good habit started of getting on your knees three times a day, saying thank you to God. See what he does. Amen? Bless you. To you.